If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Numbers and the chapter 23. We're going to read a few verses from God's Word from Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23, beginning at the first verse. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go. Peradventure the Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell it. And he went to an high place, and God met Balaam, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable, and said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram. Out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, come and defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people have dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Balaam was a wicked prophet, but he was not a false prophet, because God was able to use Balaam to speak his word. Just like Jonah, despite his faults and his failures and his flaws, God was able to use him. Like Jonah, Bela heard from heaven. And like Jonah, Balaam spoke God's word. However, Balaam's heart was never right with God. Hundreds of thousands of Hebrews are here in the wilderness, soon to conquer the promised land. They've arrived in the country of Moab, and Balak, the king of Moab, is not one bit pleased. He fears God's people. King Balak sends for the prophet Balaam. He promises Balaam a reward if he would pronounce a curse on Israel and weaken them militarily. But God stepped in. And he told Balaam in Numbers 22, verse 12, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. God was with his people, and nothing would happen to them outside of his will. And you know, friends, nothing will happen to any of God's people outside his will, regardless of the type of enemy or the health crisis that we may be facing today. The psalmist says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Our Savior has power over every sickness and every disease. Mark 3 and 10, it says, He had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him, for to touch him as many as had plagues. And you know, friends, we need to be praying for God's protection upon our families in the coming weeks, because he is able. He is able. And if you're not praying, if you're not a praying person, then now is the time to begin. What we're facing with COVID-19 is not a dry run. This is the real thing. 
Undeterred, however, Balak tries again. He tries again because the devil will not give up. He may depart for a season, but he will be back. And he will keep on trying to bring you down and to destroy your witness and curse your work. But we must keep going. We must be that light. We must rebuke that darkness. We must keep pressing on and keep trusting in God. Joseph was sold as a slave. And I'm sure he thought that things couldn't get any worse than being a slave. But then, of course, he was accused of attempted rape and thrown into prison. And he might have thought that he would never get out. Just like hell, he, he was all alone with no possibility of escape. But God had other plans. The Hebrew children ended up as slaves in Egypt. But things for them got even worse. Pharaoh ordered that the Hebrew baby boys be thrown into the River Nile. And that they would gather the straw for their own bricks. But still, still produce the same amount of bricks. They were treated cruelly. But God stepped in and he brought them out. Now, Christian, whatever hell you're going through this morning, whatever the devil is trying to do to you through his own people, whatever we have to face regarding the coronavirus, don't give up. Things might get even worse. But Deuteronomy 7 and 15 tells us, the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of these evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but he will lay them upon all of them that hate thee. Balak now tries even harder. In chapter 22, verse 15, he sends many more professional negotiators, promising in verse 17 even greater rewards and promotion. But Balaam says in verse 18, if Balak was to give me a house full of silver and gold, how can I disobey the word of God? And you know, the trouble with many of God's people today is that they're far, far too easily bought with silver and gold and promotion. And they're doing things today that they thought that they would never do. This time God tells Balaam to go with the princes, but to only do what he tells them to do. So the next morning, Balaam heads off for Moab on his donkey. God sends an angel to oppose Balaam. The donkey could see the angel standing in the middle of the road, but Balaam could not. And when the donkey tries to avoid the angel, Balaam beats the donkey. And then the Lord opens the donkey's mouth so the donkey could talk. And she rebukes Balaam. It was then that the Lord opens Balaam's eyes so he could see the angel in the middle of the road with a drawn sword. And when in Moab, King Balak takes Balaam to a high place and again tells him to curse Israel, Balaam's answer is this, How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Again, Balak tries again, but Balaam says in verse 20, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed and I cannot reverse it. Balak is desperate at this stage, and he tries one more time to persuade Balaam, and Balak is stunned when he hears Balaam say in verse 5 of chapter 24, How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. Finally, Balak gives up, and he sends Balaam home without his reward. In total, Balaam blessed Israel seven times, and at the same time, he was cursing his enemies. Later on, however, Balaam figured out how he could get his reward with Balak. He encouraged the Moabites to tempt the men of Israel with prostitutes and idolatry. Balaam couldn't curse the Israelites, so those Israelites ended up cursing themselves. They fell into sin. Chapter 25, verses 1 to 3, they committed whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they worshipped the false god Baal Peor. Friends, God was grieved. He had done so much for his people. He had brought them out of Egyptian bondage. He'd parted the Red Sea. He had even fed and watered them in the wilderness. 
He was so angry that he sent a plague. And in chapter 25, verse 9, we see that 24,000, 24,000 people perished as a result of the plague. Friends, do we really want to come to terms with why we have a plague that's sweeping through our world today? Why the coronavirus is killing thousands of people? Well, friend, it is because God is grieved. God is angry. People are up to their necks today in idolatry. They worship sport on the Lord's day. They play it. They watch it. And you know, God, with the click of his fingers, has ended it all. He ends the marathons, the football, the horse racing. He ends the motorsport, the rugby, the cycling, and the Gaelic. Croke Park is now being used as a coronavirus drive-through testing center. You can't even go for a walk in Italy or ride your bike in Spain, but they're finding you on the spot. The world has perverted the beautiful God-ordained biblical institution of marriage, which is for one man and one woman. Friends, God is angry. We kill our babies. Innocent little boys and girls are being torn to pieces in the mother's womb. God formed those babies. He put their little legs and their little arms together. He caused their little hearts to beat. He loves those babies. And you can't go around killing God's children and expect God to turn a blind eye to it. And God is angry. They danced on the streets of Dublin when abortion was brought in. Politicians cried, the north is next. Well, friends, they're not dancing now. We're changing the gender of teenage children, which is the most extreme form of child abuse possible, something from which they will never recover from. And God is angry. We allow children to be adopted by homosexual couples, denying them the right to ever have a mother. Children with two daddies can't give their mommy a bunch of flowers this morning on Mother's Day. And God is angry. We have no money to give the elderly a proper pension, and they have to choose between eating and hating. But it seems that we've got loads of money to throw around on gender reassignment. Friends, God is angry. It's almost as if God has patiently waited for Northern Ireland to fall into line. The Bible belt of Europe, the last bastion to uphold biblical truth, and the last haven of safety for unborn children to finally go the way of all the rest. And now the plague has come. Do you remember when Abraham interceded for Sodom and the Lord promised that he would spare Sodom if he found 50 righteous and then it was 40 and then 30 and then 20 and then 10 righteous but he couldn't find them and so the cities perished. Well friends God has been unable to find one righteous nation in the whole of Europe and now the plague has come. The late Ruth Graham who was the wife of the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham said this if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, so far, including America, there are over 13,000 people that have died around the world, and it's going to get an awful lot worse. God is angry. And yet, this is just a little taste. This is just a minute demonstration of what is going to be unleashed on this wicked world very, very soon. I mean, did the world really think that they could kill babies and mock God and that God would just sit back and do absolutely nothing? We're all knew, we all knew that judgment was coming. It had to come. We've talked about it long enough. Well, friends, here it is. Did they really believe that the God who in one night wiped out whole cities with brimstone and fire 
and destroyed the world with a flood because of their wickedness? Did they really expect that same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he would just sit back and ignore what's going on today? Well, of course God is angry. And friends, before this is all over, there will be a lot more than 24,000 people dead. We have forgotten that the wages of sin is death and that this plague is the consequences of breaking God's law. This is not Mother Nature's way of telling us to look after the planet. This is God telling us to repent of this thy wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And you know, folks, death is never very far away from any one of us. Even at the peak of life, there is always this thing called death. It never leaves us. It's always busy going around every day. It will leave one home and go to the next home, bringing to an end in this present world the life of a woman or a man. Balaam had some notion of this reality as well when he said in verse 10, Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Balaam was sent to curse Israel, but he ended up wanting to be like Israel. He knew that trouble was brewing. He knew that he had to prepare for death. But friends, knowing you need to prepare for death and wanting to prepare for death is not the same as being prepared for death. You cannot die the death of the righteous unless there is a determination to live the life of the righteous. And in the end, that was a price that Balaam was not prepared to pay. Balaam died and with the wicked when Israel defeated the Midianites and his end was eternal judgment. He knew death was coming. He knew there was a big possibility that with Israel threatening the Moabites, it was very, very near. But he did not prepare for it. He thought that he had plenty of time. And so he put it off. And your friend, no one knows for sure who will be struck down in the coming weeks by the coronavirus or how we might be affected. But friends, we know what's coming. Robin Swan, the health minister in Stormont, said it's coming in biblical proportions. Thousands may die. So our prayer to God this morning must be, Lord, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. I wonder, friend, are you prepared for the plague? The death of the righteous is a death prepared for, you see. The book of Amos reminds us, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. It is a death preceded by living a righteous life. But how can we do that since everyone has been born a sinner and because, because of this we, we, we choose to continue in rebellion against God? We are unrighteous by nature. Paul says, it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. On our own and by our own efforts, it is impossible. We will never be righteous. No matter how good we try to be, we will never meet God's perfect standard of perfection. Isaiah says we're all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So how can unrighteous people already condemned become righteous and live forever? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He lived a perfect life of righteousness. So by placing our faith in him, the righteousness of God is given to us. The perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to our account and at the same time our sin is given to Christ. When Christ suffered on the cross, he was suffering the just penalty that our sin deserved. We will die the death of the righteous when we possess Christ's righteousness. 
All who trust in Christ and repent of their sin are justified and made righteous by their own, by their faith in a living Redeemer. My friend, Christ is ready and willing to do this great miracle in your life this morning. You see, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The death of the righteous is an unavoidable event. Yes, the wicked will be punished. The wicked will get justice. The wicked will die. But the righteous must die as well. It is unavoidable. The saved and the lost will end up being casualties in the war against COVID-19. Be sure of that and friends, be ready for that. The most distinguished believer cannot resist death. The most excellent saint cannot force it back. And the finest Christian will not drive it away. Nor would we want to. Paul says, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. He also said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It is natural for us this morning to cling to our possessions and our family and our friends in this world. But on approaching the splendors of heaven, of witnessing the beckoning of cherubim and seraphim and coming into view of our loved ones already gone before us, death will not be resisted. Death for the Christian is the road, the bridge, the portal from a sin-cursed world of plagues and pestilences, of disease, decay, destruction and death to a paradise of never-ending bliss and happiness. The death of the righteous is a happy occasion. The death of the righteous is to be longed for. In fact, desired more than life itself. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The death of the righteous can be nothing else but happy. The death of the ungodly, those who lived and died without Christ as Savior, will be a death of unimaginable misery, eternal torment, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. But the righteous die having their sins forgiven. There may be no cure at the moment for the coronavirus, but the righteous die having their sins eliminated with a perfect antidote, which is the precious blood of Christ. When we who are left will be sorrowing, they will be rejoicing. And when we are crying, they will be celebrating. The righteous are free from condemnation. They die embraced in the love of God the Father. They die safe in the arms of Jesus. And they die having the witness of the Holy Spirit. Across the country today, weddings are being cancelled and postponed. Brides are being left heartbroken. Their perfect day has been ruined. But friends, nothing, nothing will spoil or prevent us from being united to our heavenly bridegroom. And that will be an amazing day. The righteous die in the presence of a loving heavenly Father. The psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When the wife of Mr. Hervey, who was a missionary in Bombay in India, when she was on her deathbed, a friend was heard saying, I hope the Savior will be with you as you walk through the dark valley of the shadow of death. And Mrs. Hervey replied, Well, if this is the dark valley, there isn't a dark spot in it. For all is light. Friend, every one of us will take this journey sooner or later through this valley of the shadow of death. If not with a virus or some other illness, then certainly through some other means. Joan McAllister was a missionary and God took her just a few weeks ago through a car accident in County Cavan. So when that time comes, friend, 
Will the Lord be with you? And will you die in the presence of a loving Heavenly Father? Or will you have great cause to fear? Believer, there is no need to fear returning to the dust. Because when your earthly body is being lowered into that cold, dark hole in the ground, you will already have enjoyed three days with Christ in glory. The death of the righteous is attended by visitors from heaven. The very first callers to your wake will not be a neighbor or a minister, but will be the angels of God. Do you remember when they came to escort Brother Lazarus from the rich man's gate? How they took him from the dogs that licked his sores to the delights of paradise? It says it came to pass that the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Friend, you will not make this journey alone. The Lord will be with you. His angels will escort you, and you will be more alive than you ever were before. The death of the righteous is not to be feared. In fact, it is a most precious death. The psalmist says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of God's people glorifies God's name, you see. It puts on full display the power of his wonderful, redeeming, undeserved grace. The death of the righteous should be greatly desired. To the righteous, the consequences of death is magnificent, overwhelming, and eternal. To the righteous, death is the escape hatch from all that is sin, our afflictions, our pains, our sufferings, our conflicts, our poverty, our enemies, our worries, our persecutions, and all the temptations, and all that nasty stuff is immediately replaced with inconceivable gain. Death for the Christian simply means a change of address. It is gain of an eternal home, a mansion in the sky, a room in the Father's house, a dwelling place in the New Jerusalem, and reunions with saved family and friends. Balaam believed in his soul's immortality. Balaam believed in life after death. It was anciently known and understood. Otherwise, how could the death of the good be any more desirable than the death of the wicked? Death for the righteous means happiness in another world, but death for the wicked is the opposite. Death for the wicked means a tremendous loss of everything that they counted as good and happy on earth, and it is suddenly replaced with that which is evil in a hell with no exits. The wicked frequently desire the death of the righteous, and when they draw near death's door and when they, their conscience tells them that they're not ready and the thought of a future wrath makes them tremble like the demons, they desire more than anything to die the death of the righteous. But it is foolish in the extreme to desire it and not to prepare for it. You see, friend, desiring is not enough. Desiring is not preparing. Balaam looked over the nation of Israel with their tabernacle surrounded by the tents of the twelve tribes. He knew God's presence was amongst them. He knew God's hand was upon them. He knew they were under divine protection. And he knew they were the people of God and he wanted to be like them. He wanted to be on the Lord's side, but he would not do what he needed to do to make that a reality. Balaam desired to die as a righteous man, but he would not live the life of a righteous man. And you know, there are many people today, and they look upon the Christian, and they desire to be like the Christian, and they say to themselves, let my last end be like his. They want to be in that eternal state where God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, where there is no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. They desire to die the death of the righteous, 
but they will not strive to live the life of the righteous. Gladly would they at the end of their life die the death of the righteous, but they will not go the way of the righteous. You could spend years pointing a lost soul to Christ, but they will not go to Christ. They want to be a saint in heaven, but they will not be a saint on earth in order to get to heaven. Balaam's desire was nothing more than a wish on his bucket list. This was not a prayer. If he had have cried to God to make him a righteous man, God would have done that in an instant, for God delighteth in mercy. But in the end, Balaam was put to death by the very people he would not belong to. Balaam may have wanted to die the death of the righteous and go to heaven, but so does everyone on the planet today. Every devil-inspired religion in the world is supposed to be designed and invented to prepare people for the afterlife. Religion is man's attempt to reach up to God and eventually die the death of the righteous. But friends, true biblical Christianity is God in mercy reaching down to man. Through these days of fear and uncertainty, God is reaching down to man with his mercy. And as we come to terms with what is happening in our world today, we must ask ourselves, what type of death will we have? Will your last end be like that of the Christian? Will you receive the mercy that God so much wants to give you this morning? Are you full of hope? Or are you full of horror of what lies ahead in the coming weeks? Are you prepared for the plague? Friend, don't just wish to be saved like Balaam, but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Once you come to the Lord, then what happens in the months to come in this decaying and dying world will not matter so much to you anymore. In fact, the promises of God to his people and the assurances of a loving Heavenly Father to his children this morning can be yours too. Because today, in the midst of so much uncertainty, God says to his people, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Amen.